Right, we're in our last lesson today, the issue of apostasy. We're finishing up the epistle to Jude. And if you could turn to Jude there, we're in lesson 16. We've been talking about apostates. And remember, an apostate is someone who, who has claimed to be a part of the faith, but then ends up turning away from the faith. And we're talking about their presence in the midst of God's people, and they are in the midst of God's people. It's, it's not something new. It's like we almost overlook it, especially in our circle of churches, in Baptist churches, because we assume once saved, always saved, and we think if somebody makes a profession of faith, they're okay from that point out. But the reality is, is that a profession of faith is not what saves you. It is belief and faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. And you could pray a prayer, you could even be baptized and do all the right things, and still not be fully trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. In fact, George Barner, year after year, does research among those who claim to be born-again believers. And it is always amazing to me that he puts the statistics like two out of every three people who claim to be born again believe that they're going to heaven based on something else other than trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So I want you to think about that. That is an amazing statistic. So even Jesus in his parables will say to us, you know, about how the, the sower went out and sowed good seed, and then the evening the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and just the reality that there is those of the enemy among us. Now here's the problem, you don't know who they are. And don't try to figure it out either, because you might say, well, well, let's see who they really are. You know, let's, and you start, here's what you do, you start cherry picking their behaviors. Well, they must not really be a Christian because they're doing these things and stuff. You and I don't know that because you can have your act together and not be right. So, for instance, the Pharisees, did they have their act together? I mean, they were doing all the right stuff, but were they okay? No. So, the reality is, is that there are apostates among us. And so, in our lesson today, we're going to talk about the presence of the apostates. We're going to talk about what do we need to do about them. There's some things he wants us to uh, be aware of, and then he's going to finish out this letter. So look with me, first of all, about the presence of the apostates, verses 12 through 16, and we will uh, read these verses together. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds they have committed in an ungodly way and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So let's talk about, first of all, among God's people. The first thing he's going to tell us is 
that they are they blemish the Lord's table with their presence. They blemish the Lord's table with their presence. Look, look exactly what he's saying here. Verse 12, he says, These are spots in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear. Now, the love feast that he's speaking of here is the communion time, but a little bit more than a communion time. Because remember, back then what they would do is they would gather on Sunday and they would spend, you think being here more than an hour for a worship service is a lot, or an hour and 15 minutes. But what the church would do back then, listen to me, it was a different culture, they didn't have TV, they didn't have everything else competing for their time, is that the church would gather, the churches would gather, and they would spend all day together on the Lord's Day. They would spend all day Sunday together. And because they spent all day Sunday together, they would have times of a meal. And they would call that a love feast. Now remember, if you remember in 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians were abusing their love feast, which is Corinthians chapter 11. So they would gather together, and at the end of that meal, they would remember the Lord's table. They would remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ through the elements. Now here's what Jude is saying. These guys blemish your love feast. They are spots. Here you are, because when you come to the table, it's supposed to be those who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are pure in the sight of God because He's made them pure, who are remembering the sacrifice that He has done for us so that we can be pure, and so when you have these folks come together who are apostates and you don't know who they are, they are spots, they're blemishes to our least. And, and it happens here. You know, we, we have what we call close communion. Not closed, but close communion. It's not open because we don't let, just say, we, we, we warn you that you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but we're not saying members only. Some churches will say members only. And... But even still, people will partake, and they may not be right with God, or they may not know God. And so they partake, as Jude is saying here in this verse, if you look at verse 12, without fear. What kind of fear is he talking about there? Anybody? Yeah, fear of God, which is what, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is what Paul is specifically speaking of, that you guys need to be aware, if you partake unwisely... God's going to judge you. He's going to deal with you. He's going to chastise you. So here they are. They're partaking in the Lord's table. And they're not afraid of being there. Now, this is almost, this, this chapter, this epistle parallels very much 2 Peter chapter 2. Because remember when we went through 2 Peter chapter 2, he talked about false teachers partaking in the table and about them doing their own thing during the week and not having a fear about it. So there's a, there's a parallel here between these two epistles. Now, let's go on. Here's their attitude. They are serving only themselves. The, the issue is, is with these folks, these apostates, it's not about Christ, it's not about serving others, it's about who? Themselves. See, my friends, let me explain something to you. Church is not about... When I say church, I'm talking about the church family, the body of believers, not the building. Church is not about you. 
Church is not about me. Church is about each other. Ministering and being there for each other. And when you have an apostate, because they haven't, they're not following Jesus Christ, their focus is totally on who? Themselves. So even when they come, even their service, even their religious acts are for themselves. And you say, what do you mean their religious acts? So, okay, well, let's, let's take it, let's take, make a point here. So the offering plate goes by, and they're faith, they can be faithful and putting, I mean, they tithe. And so they put their offering envelope in the offering. But here's what they do. Rather than it be an act of worship that comes out of a heart towards God, it's, okay, God, I gave this week. I need you to be there for me with my problem. God, you know, it's almost like a Christian lottery thing. You know what I'm saying? You're hoping when you go buy the ticket that you're scratching the $500 one. And it's like, okay, God, I'm putting this in there. You need to bless me. Because I'm giving you a seed gift or a faith gift or something. And and, and so that's, that's just one aspect of it, is, is giving money hoping that God will bless you in return. Because that's a selfish motive, isn't it? Tell me it isn't selfish. You can't. You're going to God saying, God, I'm doing this. Here's another one. God, I'm doing that Sunday school class, and you know I hate kids, but I'm sacrificing for you, Jesus. Now I need you to help me out this week. What's wrong with that focus? What's it about? Themselves. I mean, they're doing something bad. And and listen, can I be honest with you? That kind of mentality... You know, during, during the medieval times with the monasteries, that's what they, that's the kind of attitude they had. I'm going to cloister myself away, and, and I'll even beat myself, Jesus, so that I can be more righteous to you. And that's the attitude. See, the apostate is only concerned about himself, so it, it, and he can do it with his religious acts. He can do it with his religious acts. They're serving only themselves. Here's the other thing. Despite their appearance... They present only emptiness. There's nothing there. They have nothing to offer. Maybe you've met somebody like this. I, I, there have been religious people. There, there, I have a, I have a quirky thing about me, and the quirky thing about me is, is I tend to seek out older men who are walking with the Lord and sit at their feet to find out how they got there. been doing that for 20-some years now. And a lot of times you will meet somebody and they just look good on the outside. They're doing all the right religious stuff. But then when you talk to them, there's nothing there. You and I probably have met people like that. There's nothing. They haven't grown beyond quote, initially praying a prayer. But they're doing all the right stuff. They look good. See, this is what James, this is what Jude is talking about here. In fact, listen to the descriptions. I mean, you and I, we're aware of this. Look at this. He says, they are clouds without water carried about by the winds. You know, right now, we're not, we're not lacking in water this year, but do you remember the year when we did have a drought? And you'd see the rain, would look like rain clouds coming and nothing would happen. Remember how disappointed you were? It's like, wow, we're going to get rain today. And it didn't happen. There was nothing there. That's what he's saying. They're like clouds 
who have no rain. Look, listen to this. He says, they're like late autumn fruit trees without fruit, twice dead, and they need to be pulled up by the roots. They're like the raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. You know, I like going to the beach, and you see those waves come in and they crash, and what happens? And that foam happens. Then what? It's gone. It just kind of disappears. There's nothing there. This is the whole point he's trying to make here. They're wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is his whole point here. He's trying to say that despite their appearances, they present only emptiness. They look like they got their act together. But then when you sit down with them and talk with them, you realize there's nothing there. And my friends, they're not just teachers. Because you can say, oh, well, that sounds like somebody who's a teacher. The point here is not, an apostate is not just a teacher. It's somebody who's sitting down listening. Who, quote, has, who looks like they have their act together. Now, verse 14 and 15, he gives the prophecy of Enoch. Now, Enoch is in, in Genesis. Remember, Enoch walked with God, and then he walked no more. He's first person translated, that is, who didn't experience death because God took him. Well, Enoch had a prophecy that Jude is referring to here, and here's what he says. Here's what uh, Enoch prophesied that the Lord would come with his saints. So even all the way back in the beginning, all the way back, you're talking seven generations from Adam, there was a prophecy all the way back then, what, that the Lord would come, now they didn't know him as Jesus, but that the Lord would come with his saints and execute judgment. Execute judgment. So the Lord would come, and here's what he's saying. He will execute judgment on the lost for their deeds and speech. Okay, give me, help me to understand here, George. He just spent some time talking about their presence, about... You know, their blemishes at our love feast. You know, their, their focus is entirely on themselves. You know, they got their act together, but there's really nothing there. Now he goes off on this prophecy. What, what's the deal with giving us this prophecy? Here's what he's doing. He's saying to us, their presence is among us, but you need to keep things in perspective. The perspective is, is God's judgment is coming. And the perspective is, is that those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be judged. In fact, isn't that what, if, again, go, let's go back to that parable that Jesus said about the one who sowed seed, good seed, the enemy came. And remember the servant said, Master, do you want us to go pull up the tares? And he said, no, leave them, because if you pull them up, you might pull up the good ones as well. And wait until the harvest. Then, pull them all up, separate them, and what? Bring the good wheat into what? My storehouse. And the tares will be what? Burned up. This is exactly what the prophecy is talking about here. You see, yeah, the presence is among us. The apostates are among us. But the reality, there is a judgment coming. Jesus is coming with his, with his saints. And those who do not know him will be judged and they will experience eternal punishment. That's the point he's making here. That's the point he's making here. Now, there is one other aspect. Look at verse 16. He's going to just go back now and he's going to talk about who they are, but by their speech. They grumble and complain as they live according to their own fleshy desires. They grumble and complain as they live according to their fleshy desires. 
These folks complain about everything. But they're doing their own thing. They're doing their own thing. You know, one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor is sometimes I have to talk to people. And let me, I'll give you an example. If I talk to an addict, I'll use an addict as an example. And they're caught up in a cycle in their addiction, let's say drugs. Heroin is very prevalent in this area, or painkillers. Actually, more people on painkillers in our area than there are people on heroin. In fact, I, you know, I found this out a few years ago. You know, we have the, the methadone clinic here in, on, on the outside of town. You realize that more than 50% of the people who go to the methadone clinic are not addicted to heroin. They're addicted to painkillers that they got from the doctor. Because the painkillers, most of the painkillers are opium-based drugs, just like heroin is. Heroin is an opium-based drug. So a lot of people who would say they're not on heroin, but they're addicted to painkillers in our community. So you talk with people, and here's what happens. When they get addicted, they get in this lifestyle. And when you talk to them, you know, it, you get frustrated because they grumble and complain that they want to get out of that. They want, you know, they want something different, but then they turn around and keep doing it. They turn around and keep doing it. They don't want to change. They, they don't want to make, the, you know, it's like, it's better to enjoy the drug than it is to go through the hard time of getting out of it. Even though the drug is destroying their life. And see, so here's the thing. You hear people grumbling and complaining about, oh, I wish things were different. I wish I could just get over this. But they keep falling back into the same behavior because they're living by their own desires. They're living by their own flesh. And that's the point he's making here about these apostates. You know, they, they grumble and complain. Now, here's the other aspect about their speech. This is interesting. Look with me what it says there. They flatter people with grand words to gain advantage over them. These are smooth-talking folks. Because they're in it for themselves. They're in it for themselves. So they flatter you with their lips. They flatter you with their smooth talking because they are in it for themselves. Now, this has been a problem in Christianity for 2,000 years. If you go through church history, every generation, the fact of the matter is that Christians were gullible. Did you realize that? As Christians were gullible. You may want to write that down. As Christians were gullible. Because we want to believe everyone who comes in here and makes a profession of Jesus Christ. And that's good. I don't want to change that. But what happens is, is that we open ourselves up by our very nature of being accepting of others. See, Christians are supposed to be accepting of others no matter where they're at. By our very nature of being accepting of others no matter where they're at, we open ourselves up to be targeted by false people who are in it for themselves. You understand? We open ourselves up to be targeted by false people who are, who are in it for themselves. And you don't know because one thing about them is that they're smooth. They know the lingo. They know the talk. And, and they can say the talk. But they're in it for themselves. That whatever their desire is, they have a reason for being that way. And, and, and it's not just to gain dominance in the church. It may be whatever. They have their own reasons. They're in it for themselves. And, and, we, have a, and we accept them. 
And throughout history, if you look throughout history, you'll read about this charlatan or that charlatan, and he made a lot of money. They're false teachers. And why were they accepted? Because we have a tendency to accept everybody. And, we, and you say, well, we need to quit accepting everybody. No. We need to accept everybody, but we need to be discerning as well. We need to be discerning as well. So that's the presence of them. So let's talk about some instructions here. Look with me at verse 17 through 23, and we're going to see some instructions that he gives us. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. Okay, so let's look at what he's saying here. First of all, he's calling us to remember. They were to remember the teaching of the apostles. Okay, now, the first thing he's telling us that we need to do and remember, this is the same thing that uh, Peter was telling us in Second Peter, where he said, "I, you know, he wanted to continually remind them, is if you and I are going to be on guard against apostates who are among us, who are in it for themselves, who will flatter us, and who will lead us astray if we're not careful. The thing that you and I need to remember is the teaching of the apostles, which we have that, and it is what the New Testament, the Scripture." He's saying that you and I need to be men and women of the Scripture. We need to remember the teaching. Now, why would it be so important to remember the teaching? Anybody? Okay, if you remember the teaching of the Word, it's going to give you the wisdom and discernment to evaluate things. Let me give you a practical illustration about what Lou is saying. We've got a couple ladies who work here at the bank. More than a couple now. How do you think they train people to recognize counterfeit bills? Do they have a class on, this is a counterfeit bill? Do they have that at Clearfield Bank of Trust? Okay, you touch them and you feel them and you work with Sue, at C&B, do they have that kind of class? No, it's, you work with what daily? The real thing. And when you're handling real money and you know what it looks like, you know what it smells like, you know what I'm saying, when something fake comes along that's been printed off on an HP color laser printer, you can know that it's what? It's fake. You know it because you're handling what? The real thing always. Now here's the thing. This is why it's so important that you and I be men and women of the Word of God. Because you are handling the real thing always, which is what? Scripture. Getting in Scripture. Reading Scripture. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You will say, well, I've already read through it once. Read through it ten more times. You're always going to find something new. So that when something false comes up, there's a check in your spirit. Whoa, wait a minute now. That's wrong. Here's why. You need to be in the Word so that you know the difference between what's right and wrong. Now, here's the other thing. Some people will say... 
well, you need to study what everybody else is so you know what's wrong with their thing. You, know, you don't need to study what's wrong with everybody else's stuff. You just need to know what's right about your stuff. Do you understand? You just need to know your truth, and you'll be able to discern what's wrong with everything else. Period. The Holy Spirit will give you an understanding. First of all, it's interesting. When you're reading the Bible, it's not reading Moby Dick. You're not reading War and Peace by Tolstoy. You know, because here's the thing. The author of Moby Dick isn't there to communicate to you while you're reading what he's saying. You and I have the Holy Spirit who moved the authors to write the Scripture, and he can give you understanding. So when you're reading, you say to him, Lord, I can't understand this. Help me to see it. Or like David said, open your word that I may see wondrous things therein, is what he said in Psalm 119. The issue is, is that if we're going to deal with apostates among us, you've got to be a man and woman of the Word of God. Period. You've got to be a man and woman of the Word of God. Remember the teaching. And how you're going to remember the teaching is by reading the Word of God. Here, let me give you another practical thing. Here's how else you remember the teaching of the Word of God. Listen to other teachers. You say, what do you mean? We have Family Life Network in the area. They've got some great teachers on there. Listen to them. Listen to them. Read. Read books. So if you, we've got to remember the teaching of the apostles. Here's the other thing. The apostles warned that mockers would come who follow their own desires. He's wanting us to remember that we've been warned. There's no reason we're to be accepting, but there's no reason to be gullible. It's not like he didn't give us a warning. Jesus warned us. The apostles warned us. Jude is warning us here. I'm warning you by teaching you this. You and I need to be aware that there are mockers who are going to mock the faith who will come in among us. And you need to be aware of that. Listen, it's happened. We've had people who have come into the service here. I can think of somebody who came. And he kind of sat over in this section, somewhere in this section here. Came only one time. I talked to him afterward. And he was messed up. I mean, when you start your conversation out with, Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. But you're wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, you're, you're a good speaker, but everything you're saying is false. Brad, he didn't come back. Because he had this weird bunch of stuff mixed together where everybody was right. So you've got to be on guard. They're out there. They're out there. You understand? They're out there. Some of you are like, really? That happened? Right here in Kerwinsville, it happens. It happens. So, he war- so you've got to remember the warning. They are among us. Here's the other thing. Let's go on now. They warned against worldly people who would cause divisions in the church. This is, Jude is not the only epistle. The problem is, is that when you talk about apostate, who is an apostate living for? For themselves. It's all about them, what they want. And when you've got somebody who's living for themselves, they're not concerned about what? The greater whole. And because they're not concerned about the greater whole, they'll be apt to fight and cause division for their position. 
And you know, and I have been, you know, you know, I've been a believer now over twenty, twenty-four and a half years, and I have been. Obviously, I'm an ordained independent Baptist minister, so I've been in independent Baptist circles for a while. And I can remember all the way being back a young Christian, being at church and listening to business meetings and listening to church fights. And I, you know, even in my first church when we were fussing over a basement. The issue wasn't how can we come to some sort of agreement that the body benefits. The issue was I'm right and we're going to push this to the end until everybody knows I'm right. And if, if, and if we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. And blow a church up. And, and I'll be honest with you. I, they are there because it's all about who? Themselves. And it's all about what? People wanting it for themselves, not thinking about the greater whole. And that's what an apostate does. An apostate is only concerned about themselves and what they think should happen. You know, because here's the thing. What needs to guide us as a church is not who's right, but the one who is right. Do you understand what I'm saying? What needs to guide us is we, we understand we have to have purity doctrinally and everything. But I'm going to be honest with you. I just recently read this. 90% of church fights have nothing to do with doctrine. It has to do with the color of the carpet. It has to do with the music. It has to do with what Bible people are carrying. 90% of church fights have to do with preferences, not doctrine. You may want to write that down. And for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, they're not really interested in unity. They're interested in what? Themselves. Okay, let's go on then. We are encouraged to strengthen ourselves in the faith. So here's what he's saying. So you need to be reminded of some things. He's saying, okay, you need to be reminded of the teaching. You need to be reminded of that there are mockers and that, 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 that their, their existence is among us. You need to be reminded there are people who are guided by their worldly desires and they're just going to be led, that's going to lead into divisions. And so he says, okay, not just that you need to be reminded, you need to be strengthened in your faith. Growing. Listen, let me explain something to you. There are no plateaus in Christianity. There is no plateau in your life. You, have you noticed that with your marriage? You're either working forward or walking backward. You just can't take, oh, well, you know, this week, we've had a really good week last week. I'm just going to rest in last week. It ain't happening. It's not happening. You've got to work on it. Same thing's true in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There's no plateaus. And so one of the things he's saying, if we're going to be on guard against apostates, you've got to be growing. You've got to be maturing. You've got to be strengthening in your faith. Because if you're not strengthened in your faith, they're going to come and cause doubts in your mind. They're going to create doubts. That's reality. Let's go on. Here's the other thing. We must pray out of hearts that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Sounds like he's giving us pat answers here, doesn't it? Sounds like the same old thing. Read the Bible. Pray. 
strengthen our walk. Sounds like the same thing. But you know what? They may sound like pat answers, but they're the things that we need to be focusing on. We're looking for, you know, oh, preacher or, or so-and-so or counselor, I, I need you to help me with my problem and I need you to help me with this and I need you to help me get over this and what do I need to do? Well, I think if you spend more time with Jesus. Well, you know, I've tried that. That doesn't work. You've got some other kind of 10-step program I can do? Isn't that our thinking today? And it's like, well, here's what the, and you say, well, you've got to probe a little bit deeper. You say, well, you, you tried that. What do you mean you tried that? Well, you know, I prayed one time. He didn't answer. It's got to be more than just one time. You've got to develop the relationship with him. You've got to read his word. You've got to grow in your faith and be strengthened. See, they're not pat answers. They're the truth. This is what Jude is saying. I mean, look at it. It's, it's a formula. What? Remember the teaching, which is His Word. What is it? Be aware. Be discerning of those who are around you. Here's what He's saying. Pray. These are all issues that we need to have in our lives. And look, if they're lacking in your life, you're vulnerable. Let me just go ahead and say it. You're vulnerable if they're lacking in your life. Let's go on now. He's going to say one other thing here. We must stay close to God and ourselves with the bond of love. Listen, my friends, church has to be more than just a meeting. Church has to be more than just showing up on Sunday for Sunday school and for, for church service. Church has to be more than that. Church has to be you being close with others. See, again, this sounds like a pat answer. Get with other believers and spend time with them and minister to their needs as they minister to yours. My friends, that's reality. That's going to help you. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews says when he says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are prone to do. And aren't some prone to do that? And here's a typical response today. Oh, boy, it's August the 9th. Boy, I'm up, but... Hey, honey, we got anything going on today? Well, there is this, that, or another. Well, I guess we got time to go to church. First of all, they talk about going to church. Rather than, I guess we have time to go be with the family today. To be with the people who love Christ. It's, it's going and doing a religious activity. And so, if something else came up better... Well, hey, you know, they're having a big sale over at Staples at this such and such time today, and I got a coupon. Well, we better go, because they might have something there we might need. Don't know what it is, but we'll know when we get there. And isn't that the kind of attitude we have today? It really expresses where our commitment levels are. But what Jude is calling us to is if we're going to be aware of apostates around us, we need to recognize the need for what? Each other. Listen. In about a month from now, small groups are going to be starting up again in our church. You need to get in one. You say, a Bible study? Well, okay, you're going to learn the Word and you're going to pray for each other, but here's the thing about small groups. You ask anybody who's in a small group, they develop a relationship with the people who are in that group and they know how to pray for them. And they're there for them. That's the wonderful thing about a small group. Not just another teaching time, although it's important. But it's a time to grow close to somebody. And listen, if you want to isolate yourself, 
Don't be a part of a group. But if you want to connect with people, get in a group. And in a month, we'll let you know what groups are happening, and you can be a part of one. Let's go on now. He's going to tell us to be, again, watchful. We must be watchful for the Lord's return. So we're going to need to be, we're going to be aware of God's returning. And then here's the other thing. We need to have compassion. We must have compassion for doubting believers, the lost and those who are corrupt. And then I want you to notice with me, it should be verse 24 through 25 there, the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. First of all, the praise for God's action. He praises God for His preservation of the saints. See, here's the interesting. He just talked about that there there are false ones among us, but he wants to end the discussion by saying, it's God who preserves those who truly believe preservation of his saints. And then finally he just praises God for who he is. He says, he praises God as Savior, wisdom, and supreme. He praises God as Savior, wisdom, and supreme. He praises God as Savior, wisdom, and supreme. Let's uh, close our time in prayer.